Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Easy Conversations podcast, a podcast about having easy conversations. I'm your host, Burkhan Dandia. This week's episode, I welcome Carrie Strout. Carrie and I recently connected in our Master's in Counseling Psychology course and exchanged many thoughtful reflections and ideas regarding family systems therapy. Carrie is a mature student who has worked with teens in the past, and then he became an electrician. While being an electrician, he was often called a site counselor by those from the other trades. And now he is excited to become a psychologist and counsel people of all ages. He's passionate about the LGBTQ community, mental health, and doing a touch of crocheting in his free time. Having suffered from a functional neurological disorder or FND, his life has been reshaped into a desire to help people ju- see just how powerful the mind and brain can be on our entire bodies. In this episode, Terry and I talk about his journey through the functional neurological disorder, how he dealt with it, and what he learned from it. Terry talks about his mindset and what has helped him through this experience in life. Terry also shares how this entire experience impacted his wife and kids. We also talked about Terry having some realizations regarding intergenerational trauma and how he has applied what he recently learned in our course together. You can find Terry on Med Mastodon under Terry J. Strout. And please leave a review at the end of this episode. Thank you. Right, Terry, welcome to the Easy Conversations podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time. Uh, For listeners, it's Christmas Eve when we're recording. So I'm very grateful that Terry is willing to do this today with everything going on. So welcome. And uh, before we get started, I want to give you an opportunity to introduce yourself. Yeah, totally. Um, My name is Terry. I'm a uh, master's student. at Yorkville University, doing a Master's of Arts in Counseling Psychology, moving into my practicum pretty quick here. Um, originally from Newfoundland, Canada, even though I don't have a super thick accent, but comes up once in a while. And uh, yeah, married guy with um, with two kids, uh, several careers in my past. Uh, you know, becoming a therapist, but uh, was an electrician and was actually a, uh, a youth pastor for a few years there as well. Um, so I've kind of got a very, a very, uh, winding journey yeah. and through over the last few years, which is kind of what's connected us here. So correct. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, for listeners, Terry and I are in the same program. We were doing the same course. I, I believe it was your last course as well. The couples and families. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so we connected through there, and for me, I was really inspired by Terry's story. So I guess kind of getting into that, like what motivated you to go into counseling psychology and want to become a therapist? So I'd always wanted to do it. Um, when I was uh, going to college, I took some counseling and psychology courses. Um, absolutely loved it. Was super into it. Um, and even before that, actually, I'd read lots of counseling books and those kinds of things. Uh, it was always a major interest of mine. And in working with teens and with families, um, did a lot of uh, informal counseling with them. And that really, I don't know, it always really resonated with me. So anyway, things didn't work out within that career, moved on to be an electrician. And the ongoing joke was that I was the site counselor for whatever site I was on. So I'd have like, you know, carpenters coming up and just like chatting with me about, you know, relationship stuff. And, um, you know, I'd have uh, people that I work with, coworkers, just kind of talking about their life stuff, what's going on. And, you know, people found it really easy to share with me. So um, anyway, I was quite happy in electrical, um, was loving what I was doing, Uh, ended up getting sick and, um, losing the use of the entire right side of my body. Mm. They thought it was MS, or did some MRIs, and there were no lesions. So they're like, well, not MS. I don't know what's going on. 
saw one neurologist who completely dismissed me. Um, and then finally saw another neurologist uh, who was absolutely astounding. His name was Dr. Hussein. And he, um, you know, did a bunch of different tests and stuff and said, I think I know what's going on. You have a functional neurological disorder. Mm. And this, he's like, this, this can be caused by so many different things, but it, uh, a lot of times it can be caused by stress, uh, mismanaged mental health, um, which I'd always had some mental health issues and was getting help for, mm-hmm. but there were a lot more compounded issues, which is a whole other side thing. Um, and so as I started working through that, uh, I had to do or in doing therapy, uh, in doing physiotherapy to try to get some of the strength back. Um, yeah. it was a long journey of several years, actually, um, trying to regain the use of my body. Um, I was having see like what they call functional seizures where I'd black out for 40 minutes mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, it lowered down to like 20 minutes. So there was a lot of stuff going on, um, neurologically that was what they would consider to be functional. So they can't pinpoint the biological side. So all of this really affected my experience in being an electrician because you can't really uh, be bending pipe, pulling wire, any of that stuff when, you know, you can't walk or lift or, um, you know, do anything without conking out. So um, that threw my career out the window. As I was recovering, we decided, hey, because I've always been interested in counseling, what if I looked at maybe trying to get a master's um, and look at becoming some kind of counselor? And so as I looked through different places and contacted some schools, um, Yorkville actually uh, took me in with a lot of equivalency, as well as looking at some of my undergraduate courses that I had done. Um, had several conversations, um, several interviews, and they said, like, yeah, given that, your references and everything, uh, 100%, we actually think this is a really amazing fit for you. And as I've been doing all the academics of the degree, it's like, yeah, this has been an astounding fit for me. So very winding journey with a whole medical side and not... I think why I'm in the direction that I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. And and obviously there's a lot to, to unpack. And I guess for me, the first question I have is like, how long did this last? How long were you dealing with this condition for? And when did it happen? Oh, uh, that's, that's the fun question. Um, now I'm missing large chunks of memory. So, uh, because yeah. of it happening. So, um, I believe it started, I think it was 2000. I think it was 2018. Yeah. It started, um, my last full blown symptom. Um, let's see. I got rid of my cane. I was in a wheelchair for quite some time. Um, I got rid of my cane in 2020, I think the end of 2020. So actually, yeah, it was right before Christmas. Mm -hmm. So it would have been two years ago that I got rid of my cane. Um, I, if I don't watch myself and I do get stressed, um, I get, I can start getting some of the numbness in my hand, um, yeah. in my leg. Uh, I get because sort of the anxiety numbness around my lip and I can start getting some of those things. Uh, so basically the FND, the functional neurological disorder will be with me forever as a possibility if I don't manage myself with good self-care. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think it's been, um, I would say about a year, I would say year and a half ago was the last time I had like a, any kind of major symptom. Right. So it, that was uh, yeah, like three and a half years, three years of symptoms. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and you were obviously married with children. How was that like whole experience for, for your family? <laughs> well, that, um, you know, I'll be born. It ruined our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, it was absolutely terrifying. Um, it was very traumatic. Yeah. Especially actually for both of our kids. So we've been working through a lot of, um, they're a lot better now, but they've had, you know, therapy and had been working through a lot of what genuinely would be trauma, uh, because they thought I was dying. Mm. And, um, so like genuine DSM five textbook trauma, they were meeting some of that, um, according to therapists. So, uh, yeah. And my wife is still struggling with, um, sort of a lot of the aftermath of that because those experience will stick with you forever and you know we get this in our heads that well you know yeah you, you talk it through and then you move on but they don't it doesn't work that way um you know those those experiences don't go away you learn how to manage the that emotional residue that tends to be left over so really after all this time we are still uh, working through a lot of the fallout from that experience because that was um that was very terrifying and hearing her story from when it happened which i have little to no recollection of that first day right um is actually putting myself in her shoes that would be terrifying beyond all reasoning mm-hmm. um, which we don't have to go into that the whole day because that to me that's her story right uh, to share but uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been a rough thing. It's been step by step, day by day, and uh, we're getting better and better uh, as a family, and just kind of working through every hurdle one step at a time. But uh, something that life changing and scary definitely uh, hits your whole family hard. You can't yeah. avoid it. Yeah, yeah, no, I can appreciate that, and. And, and as you mentioned, for you, it's a bit of a blur. Obviously, there's that mer- memory loss associated with it. But how has it been now that you've come out of it? Obviously, keeping in mind that it can come back if you're not managing your stress levels. But being there for your children and your wife, like how are you managing that considering that you don't really have much of a memory associated with what happened? What? How do you remind yourself to show up and, and what do you do in those instances where that trauma is potentially triggered? So for me, one of the biggest things I try to do is uh, continually work on, um, on my own self-awareness mm-hmm. of how I react in the moment. Um, so... I mean, with my wife, I find it a lot easier where, you know, she expresses something. It's like, okay, I'm going to be present. I'm going to be here. I'm going to listen. I'm going to support her in whatever it is she needs to talk through. And that's been a work in progress in our relationship because um, she is, it's funny. People always laugh that uh, their joke is that, you know, I'm the wife and she's the husband. (laughs) Because of the two of us, I'm probably, uh, I'm, I'm the soft one. Yeah. I'm the one that's going to cry at a movie, you know, and she's like, yeah, let me just go play paintball and hurt someone. <laughs> she, she's rough and tumble. Um, but she's, so she's very emotionally reserved and, um, allowing her, her own space and time to kind of grieve and work that through. And now she's at a place where she's like, okay, if, if I share what I'm feeling with you, you're proving that you're not going to get stressed out and this isn't all going to happen again. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of the main trauma point is the fear of going through that again. Right. And I, uh, I have really worked hard to try to make sure that she has the space to do that on her own volition. Right. So I'll ask like, are you okay? And if she's like, yeah, I'm fine. And I look at her, I'm like, okay. Cause I'm, I can tell you're, you know, like you're, you're seeming tense. So, um, I can promise you this isn't going to 
um, bother me. This isn't going to set me off if you, if you share, um, remember we've come a long way. Yeah. So, but no pressure either. If you don't want to. Yeah. And leaving it open like that has been really helpful because I think, um, earlier in our marriage, I would push and push and push and push because like, you know, got fixed it, got to yeah. do something. I feel helpless. I'm going to do something. And that didn't work. She doesn't, you, you push her or tell her what to do. She's going to do the opposite point. Right. That's just who she is. Yeah. So, um, giving her that space, it's taken some time, but she'll now talk about, you know, wow, this feels, well, this happened and this reminded me of what we went through and now I'm just a little scared. It's all going to happen again. And, um, not having to give an answer. I don't have to give a response, mm -hmm. um, say, you know, yeah, that's scary from your side. That's terrifying. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not going to butter it up. Like I'm not going to try to find a solution. I don't need to find a solution. It's just yeah. kind of embracing where we are right now. What she's feeling right now has been the healthiest. And with my kids, that's been far more complicated. Um, my oldest is currently working through um, a prognosis of autism. So that changes a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Uh, they both have ADHD. My oldest is severe. So, well, you know, we're working through other elements to this as well. And um, with that, to try to be present for them while being their father as right now the stay-at-home dad. Yeah. Um, it's, it's a balance for me uh, and a struggle right now in trying to know, okay, when do I have to be emotionally available and listen? When do I need to draw the line? When do I need to be supportive? Um, so I don't have a good answer on the kid's side of things. I'm working that through day by day and being very willing to say I'm sorry because I do mess up and sometimes jump the gun and um, try to work that one through. Yeah. So hopefully that answers yeah, yeah, no, a I mean, really long way. No, I appreciate that. I mean, with kids, it's it's a constant learning curve right i mean considering the situation but at the same time even under normal circumstances and i mean normal like whatever you want to call that but um it is a constant learning curve right we constantly make mistakes as parents because we don't know we've never been through this process before so it is a bit of a trial and error and and you know what what i pick out from there is that having that humility as a, as a father specifically is so crucial because it shows our parents that, uh, sorry, our children that we do care and we're, we're trying our best and we're willing to learn from the feedback they offer us. And I don't know if there's a better approach than that, right? At least based on my personal experience, there's not much else you can do in those moments when you're working with your children. It's giving them that space to express themselves and, and showing up as your true self. And, and even with your wife, as you mentioned that, you know, there is an aspect of your attachment styles coming into play and, you know, you giving her that safe space to express herself, but not forcing it too much because then that could trigger her is, uh, so crucial. And we often forget that in relationships because we're so, especially as men, we just want to fix things and, and we get caught up in that. So I appreciate you kind of focusing on that and, and being aware of giving her that space it seems to have improved things as you mentioned right yeah it's been um, a long journey of recovery and uh, we kind of accepted after the first year of when it was going through the FND that okay this is a very long journey we're going through um, so whatever small things we can do to help us improve and um, help us stay together, which has been the core of our relationship since we were even dating was, you know, what do we need to do to stay firm together, no matter what kind of storms are going on in life to, you know, throw that cliche out there. Um, and so that's still our mindset. 
that regardless of what happens in our lives, um, we talk and find ways to stand firm together and prioritize mm -hmm. us. And um, it's still a working progress. I would say it's better now than it ever has been. Yeah. Um, but it rocks things and it changes things. And the biggest mistake that I made was in so when I really started recovering, saying like, well, you know, this isn't going to happen again. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, you can't promise that. Yeah. And she flat out called me out on it. And she's like, you can't promise that because you couldn't, there's no way you could have promised that it wouldn't have happened in the first place. Right. Yes. And I need you to not promise things that you can't control. Mm -hmm. So it was actually helpful to say, I don't know if they, like the possibility is there that this kind of thing could happen again. So let me show you what I'm doing to take care of myself to make sure. And a big part of that helping us kind of stay strong together has been me saying, well, um, you know, I put in some boundaries recently yeah. on some things, or I made this decision to put me first mm -hmm. because I've got to make sure that I don't have the same stuff happen again from not taking care of myself, my mental health properly. Yeah. Um, so here's, and, and letting her know, here's what I'm doing. Hey, here's, you know, I talked to this person, had a great heart to heart and, uh, found that was really helpful mm -hmm. for me. So here's my action plan coming out of it that, um, that I'm going to do. And then saying like, Hey, this. Here's the thing I did that I said I was going to do and, um, you know, protecting myself, protecting my, uh, my mental health, because as I protect my mental health, that means I protect myself physically. Mm -hmm. If I protect myself physically, I'm also protecting, uh, my whole family. Right. And so in flip that around, she now is doing the same thing because we don't want this kind of thing to ever happen again to any of us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an important point you've made around prioritizing our well-being first, because we often, especially when we become parents, we lose focus of that. Right. And our main priority is to look after our children and then our spouse. And quite often people even put their jobs before themselves. So like, you know, you, your own well-being and prioritizing that almost falls number like fifth or sixth in that list and and we lose sight of if we're not taking care of ourselves we can't really take care of other people and you know there's a bit of a shift happening now that more and more people are starting to recognize that but going through that experience like and and now where you are having to manage that stress like what are some things you're doing other than like you said mental health like what are some things you're doing specifically to put yourself first and, and prioritize your well-being? Um, a big part is making sure that I'm spending time um, reading for recreation. Because uh, I have a bad habit of reading stuff that is very mentally stimulating, which you'd think, hey, that's not a bad habit. No, it can be. Yeah. I, uh, I tend to hyperfixate on things. My kids come by the ADHD very honestly. <laughs> Um, so I very specifically, I mean, I, by my bed, I have my Kobo. The majority of what's on it is just like fantasy novels and stuff like that. She's got what she calls a junk food novel series that I've gotten into and it's just reading for fun as well. And anything that I do, um, they make sure that, Hey, it's okay to have fun and it's okay to enjoy yourself in it and finding that that balance there. Um, and I also really make sure that, you know, I'm reaching out to, uh, to my best friend. Um, and I have a few other friends as well, that like I have a support system that I make sure are always there. Mm -hmm. Um, if I need to see my therapist, um, I can get in contact with her like that mm -hmm. and, um, set up an appointment and make it happen. Um, you know, and now I'm, uh, that I'm kind of getting a lot more stuff together. I'm looking at, uh, even physically, how can I start making things better? Cause you know, the downside is that 
when you're working in a little electrician where you're like, oh yeah, like, you know, I'm strong, I'm ripped, I'm feeling great. Yeah. And you go from that and uh, eating the calorie intake for an electrician. Yeah. Coach, you being in a wheelchair, uh, you kind of put on a little extra padding. Yes. So after gaining, I think it was like 50, 60 pounds, I'm like, oh, I need to do something about that. So that's kind of my next stage. And I'm about self-care is trying to figure out how can I put that in. Mm-hmm. And um, also taking, the biggest thing has been taking small moments of appreciation, um, not letting moments slip by. So uh, for instance, I've uh, I've got a dog who she is well, one year old now. And she, um, she, she just has, she's very loving and has moments where, you know, she'll bump my leg and I'm like, what? And so I'm going to take this moment and I'm going to lie down on the floor with her and just interact with her because it's so easy to get caught up in so many different things. Or I'm going for a, a walk or maybe I'm just walking over to uh, drop something off at the library. I see, you know a tree and something about the colors just hit me or, or some of the snow, the way the snow sits on it just hits me and I stop and I look at it and appreciate the moment Mm -hmm. because I find those are the things that, that mindset, that being mindful, being in the moment, not getting caught up in that rat race mentality, um, is something that I really was missing out on. And, um, being able to accept that, being able to accept any, you know, emotions that arise. Hey, I am feeling absolutely pissed off right now. Okay. That's how I'm feeling. You know, I'm feeling angry. Yeah. Okay. That's how I feel yeah. and accepting that. Um, you know, so there's a, there's a lot of little pieces and, and even while we're talking about this now, I'm still trying to fit together how this looks. Yeah. Um, because working on that mental health has been such a long-term thing for me in my recovery that finding the other elements has been, um, a slow journey that I'm still learning. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. And I mean, you know, to, to highlight the aspect of being in the present moment is so important, as you mentioned, because we lose sight of that quite often and, and then when you go through something significant like you did, it brings up those moments that, oh, I've been just going through life without even being present. And that's such a, I think it's a harsh awakening when we have those moments. But also I think it's a, it's a moment to be grateful for, to have that realization and have the opportunity to even change it. Um, so, so yeah, I completely agree. And, and then there's that aspect of when we're working on ourselves and doing that self healing, we do stack our habits, right? We try one thing and then we continue to build on that. And that sounds like what you're doing, but when you were going through that experience, you know, like you said, for the two years, what were the things that you were able to focus on to, to motivate yourself and get through that time? Were there things from your past that you were able to draw upon uh, past experiences, past uh, knowledge? You know, where were you able to get that resiliency from? Hmm. A big part was fighting for my kids. Um, It was pretty scary thinking I could never, like when we thought it was MS and that maybe I had completely lost, you know, my right leg, my right arm or whatever. Um, It was very scary thinking that I might not be able to pick up my kids anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, When I got that diagnosis that this, I can manage this. that was fuel for me that, Hey, I can fight to get better for my kids really? and I can fight to get better for the woman who I, uh, absolutely adore mm. and she's everything to me. Um, and even for, you know, my, uh, and uh, actually my, my best friend was one of, um, 
the greatest supports for me and still his. I mean, I don't know what I did to deserve this pack, but he helped him so much. Eric. He already has his own issues to deal with. He's got muscular dystrophy and all that kind of stuff. And yet he um, was astounding. And so having him as kind of an outside support was incredible. Yeah. Um, You know, so it was a lot of the social side that really fueled me to keep getting better. And the people that would reach out to me and be like, Hey, how have you been doing? Um, you know, those were the strength that I leaned or the strength that I leaned on in trying to fight and get through it. Um, I mean, I guess there's a little aside then it's, uh, you can't underestimate how powerful a little text message saying, Hey, hope you're doing okay. Thinking about you can be. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or just telling your friend you love them. Yeah. I mean, guys, you know, guys sometimes get weird about that, but having your buddy being like, Hey, hope you're okay. I love you. And she's just like, yeah, okay. I think I got this. I'm cared for. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's huge. And, and I guess, so that fueled you and was there anything you had from your past experiences that you were able to rely on or in that moment, just having the, you know, knowing that there were people that were there for you and supporting you through this journey that you were able to kind of get through it and, and push past all of it. Yeah. You wouldn't let that one slip, would you? You had to round back to it. I'll <laughs> try to avoid it. Um, you know, a big part of it from my path, um, part of the resiliency was also, my mother had an uh, obsessive compulsive disorder growing up or uh, a few other issues, um, where we're not on good terms right now. And in the recovery, especially after I found out that this um, for some people, FND is mental health related. Uh, I was like, you know what? Whereas she refused to get help mm. growing up, um, where I thought she chose her disorder over me, I am not doing that mm. to my kids. I refuse to do that to my friends, to my wife, to the people I love. I will fight tooth and nail to not have others experienced that. And so it was, um, a very hard headed, um, hard headed resiliency, I guess, yeah. where I'm like, I am not letting history repeat itself. Yeah. I'm making a change and, uh, I'm going to learn from, um, the mistakes of those that came before me yeah. and not let a cycle go on. So, uh, it was just being stubborn. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's relevant considering the course we just did on family systems and having that awareness of intergenerational trauma and putting an end to it. Did that kind of resonate for you when you were doing that first paper we had to write around patterns and bringing an end to it? Oh my goodness. I swear when we talked about doing those genograms, which I had never heard about yeah. what a genogram was, by the way, anybody listening, Google genogram, yeah. really cool. Um, but anyway, uh, doing that every single assignment, almost every single discussion post we did, I'm like, Hey, genograms, 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 because it did so much for me to look back and be like, Hey, that's where I inherited some of this stuff. Um, a lot of the social and generational issues, uh, that came through and gave a bit more empathy, um, towards, you know, my parents and what they had gone through when I stopped looked at that, but also looking and going, Hey, look, here's also the protective supports I have around me now excuse me, with, um, with like my sister-in-law, for instance, who is a cornerstone for 
my wife and for myself and for my kids because she is the greatest auntie in the world or the coolest auntie as far as they're concerned. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that genogram really spelled out and confirmed kind of where I felt like I was at uh, in terms of challenges that I've had to face due to past generations and also how I can support and help my kids as kind of the intermediary between a lot of that pain and those issues that have come before into my parents. And now I get to choose yeah. what can be brought forward. It's kind of having that awareness alone was life-changing for me. That's part of this degree on this point. Yeah. Um, don't do that genogram for me. Yeah. And I, to your point, I've shared it with a lot of my friends too, to like look into it themselves on their own or even if they want to work with their therapist but to your point it was so powerful like i don't know about you but that was probably the hardest paper i had to write not because it was long it was fairly long but at the same time is very triggering for me and there was times where i had to step away and come back to it later just to kind of regulate myself because you know i've got, been going for therapy for a while and i've dealt with some of those things on a subconscious level or, or even directly, but going through that exercise and immersing myself in it was so profound and, and deep, but at the same time, very powerful, just coming out of it. And, and to your point, having that additional empathy and compassion, not only for my parents, but you know, their parents before and all the things they had to experience and go through, it's just opens up your eyes a little bit and you know I'm super grateful for having that awareness and now you know going to visit my parents for the holidays it's going to be you know I just I'll show up as a different person and yeah it was a valuable exercise for me too um mm -hmm. it was huge it uh I was honestly shocked at how insightful it really was for me because I thought like, oh no, I know. And and a lot of it I didn't know. But to actually see it laid out in front of me, um, especially with a lot of different colors and stuff that I had added because I tend to be, you know, a little bit more creative visual, um really reinforced that, okay. Um first of all, that some of the stuff that's happened in my life. I can lighten up on some of the blame that I've placed yeah. um, towards, um, you know, those that have come before me. Um, but at the same time, I don't have to, I also don't have to be like, eh, well, whatever, it's okay. Because I, I can now look at those lines that I've drawn and go, no, here's where I can choose to make it different. And, you know, protect my my kids and my family and, and my own heart to make sure that I don't need to be impacted by the challenges and trauma of previous generations. But understanding that, hey, this is why they behave a certain way and this is why they have certain fears. I don't need to carry those fears. I can choose not to because I understand where they're coming from. Um, so it kind of increases that empathy while also uh, making me more aware of maybe even triggers for me um, with my kids that, oh, okay, this kind of thing used to set me off. Why? Well, okay, because I got that from their parents and they got that because of their parents. Okay, maybe I don't need to get set off over this certain thing. What can I do to change it? Because obviously this isn't going to do my kids any good. Mm -hmm. So it's... You know, even using it in a very practical way has been uh, helpful for me. Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, it's taking that responsibility to make those changes. Otherwise, you know, as you mentioned earlier, you would be repeating those same patterns and dynamics, which ultimately uh, led to your, the, led to the deterioration of your mental health. Right. So, so, so important yeah. to highlight that. And now as you're kind of shifting into your career of becoming a therapist, starting your practicum with the hopes of 
being a full-time therapist. What are some things that you're keeping in mind and trying to keep within your awareness that you can share with future clients considering your own personal experience and now having the skill set to be able to work with clients in that therapeutic aspect? The biggest thing uh, for me is that you don't need to change everything. Mm. Um, I'm very huge on acceptance, um, acceptance of your emotions, acceptance of what is. Uh, I'm very existential, so you know, finding meaning in what there is today, and especially the notion of responsibility. Yeah, that. Even if we choose not to act on something that is still a choice and that is still meaning, um, showing that to clients is something that I feel like can radically change your life. Um, so for instance, you know, somebody comes to me with, um, you know, they're really struggling with a bunch of stuff that's happening in their life. Maybe stuff's going on with their family. They're and, and they're feeling, you know, very anxious about it. Um, working through that, yeah, of course you're feeling anxious about it. That's A, that's very normal. Yeah. So you're not crazy. You're 100% normal. And secondly, okay, what are the things that we can do? And what are the things that we can't do? And what are the things that we're going to choose not to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All of those things help create that meaning um, for your situation. You are the writer of your reality right now. And I know that sounds very ephemeral, very lofty, but really what it just comes down to is being able to accept that I am here right now. That's okay. <laughs> Really, that's what it comes down to. Mm. I can look at myself and my situation. Um, and I love the line my therapist that I from my therapist that I have stolen and she's stolen from someone else, and hopefully more people will steal it. Is that I'm gonna look at myself and my situation with open curiosity and without any judgment. Mm. To teach that to people um and help them. Embrace the moment that they're in. Yeah. Without the judgment of this is good, this is bad, but just what's happening is insanely life-changing and has radically changed my life and is what helped me recover from my FND. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean that mindset's going to help absolutely everybody and work for absolutely everybody, but being able to accept I'm feeling this, that's okay. I'm experiencing this. It sucks. It's horrible. I hate it. But that's, it's okay that I am where I am because I still have choices I can make. Um, so even when you feel helpless and like you have no control, there are still things that you can choose and you can control. Yeah. And I find that outrageously empowering for people. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, to your point, there's an aspect of agency that one can have by having that mindset that, you know, this has happened, but I still have a choice here. And I think a lot of people give up that power or agency by just comparing their situation to others or just labeling things through judgment. You lose your ability to deal with it. And, and to your point, not accepting what is. Um, you're, you're constantly fighting it, resisting it, and you're just giving up your power. So, 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 so that's so important to highlight. Do you feel like there's an aspect of overlap with, you know, as you mentioned, you were a youth pastor, any of those ideals, is there an overlap in terms of how you approach therapy as well? With that, yeah, there probably is, um, I mean, one of the biggest criticisms I had been given was that um, I was too focused on that kind of in-the-moment care um, 
versus what they thought I should be encouraging and teaching. I wasn't, uh, quote unquote, um, spiritually minded enough. Mm. And I always felt that the most spiritual thing is the here and now yeah. is what we do, not, um, what we have in our heads, yeah. what we believe, you know? Um, so I honestly think that part of the mindset that I have now has come from what I've used in working with teenagers and even with their families. Um, except I find it much easier in a situation where a lot of the, uh, a lot of the religious nuances are removed and we can just talk about the here and now. It doesn't mean that, you know, a person's spirituality or, or religious experience don't matter. No, hundred percent. They do matter. Very important. But, um, it's probably much more targeted to where I found I resonated most in helping teens. Yeah. And, um, even now I still talk with some of them and their, uh, their reflections go back to some of these very things that, you know, I've talked about, um, towards the end here regarding, you know, that, that agency, that locus of control, and it's been so valuable to them and uh, I mean I'm going to continue using that uh, especially now that I've been far more educated and had far more experience um, professionally now in, in my training yeah. so it's um, there's definitely a growth yeah. out of there for sure absolutely yeah yeah and, and I want to close off with one last question I guess in terms of one of the things I find very interesting and main themes of this podcast is the meaning that we derive from the situations we go through in life and for yourself going through what you went through, you know, between 2018 and 2020, what's the meaning that you were able to draw from that entire experience? Um, there is a whole lot of stuff happen that happens that is so outside of your control. Mm -hmm. We try to control so many parts of life and try to have all of our ducks in a row. You know what? Things can just fly off in the blink of an eye. Yeah. You can't, I can't control a lot of stuff that happens with my body. Yeah. I can't control a lot of stuff that happens. You know, if I'm driving, I can't control other drivers. I can't control, I couldn't control the time when my serpentine belt blew off of my vehicle. You know, there's didn't know it was going to happen. It just happened out of the blue. There was no indication. Um, you know, you, you can't, there's a lot of stuff you can't control. But in the midst of all of it, um, there's something beautiful to be said about finding those precious moments in the middle of whatever you're going through. Mm -hmm. There is always a certain piece of hope and joy in the middle of whatever you're experiencing you can find it it's there uh whether it's with friends whether it's with family whether it's even within those brief moments of um noticing something you wouldn't normally stop to notice uh that that mindfulness that um stopping and smelling the roses yeah I mean, really, that is the biggest thing out of it all that I kept going back to uh, was what are the brief moments that I can just stop and take in to say, hey, I'm, I'm here. I'm still here. And although I can't control everything else around me, I could control that. Yeah. I can control what focus I have right now and i'm going to use that that was kind of the biggest takeaway as i was going through the middle of all of that experience yeah 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 no that's powerful and and thank you for all that and terry thank you for being vulnerable and sharing so much uh you know i, I know i pushed you a little bit there but Thank you for 
staying with it and I appreciate it all. And for, for listeners, typically I offer guests an opportunity to share ways that they uh, can be reached. Completely up to you if you want to share any socials or anything. If not, that's all good too. But uh, I just want to give you that opportunity there. Yeah. Um, most of my socials have been deleted <laughs> recently as I've been pulling back. Yeah. Um, from a, uh, from, you know, social media and all of that. But one of the places that I can be reached, uh, if people are interested, um, is through the, uh, medical Mastodon. If anybody's used Mastodon, um, given all that's kind of happened with Twitter lately and it, uh, Terry J Stroud at med mastodon.com. Um, and I mean, shoot me a follow, a message, um, comes up on my phone, um, intentionally on the med mastodon as more of a professional mm. side of things to keep equipping myself, um, and less about, um, just kind of the goofy interactions that I usually want to have about games or, or, you know, geeky stuff, uh, crochet, whatever. So, um. Yeah, if someone wants to reach out or or need to chat or whatever, or just say hi, you can definitely find me on there for sure. Sounds good. I'll definitely share that in the show notes. But Terry, thank you again for coming on here. I appreciate you taking the time and I uh, wish you a great holiday break with your family. Um, but yeah, hope to continue to stay in touch. Yeah, I definitely hope so. It's, uh... This has been really cool today, so I appreciate you having me on here. Thank you for checking out this episode with Terry. As always, please leave a five-star review. And until next week.